My name's Drew Flam, and uh, my family and I have been attending Mission Point for the last six or seven years. And I get the opportunity this morning to continue our series, Busy Jesus. As we ramp up into the fall and we get into the school season and into a ramped up ministry season, and we look at our calendars and our life is just driven by our calendars, and we just move from event to event to event that we just stop, pause, Take a second to look at the scriptures and see what did Jesus busy himself with? And how do we align our priorities with what Jesus busied himself with? And so uh, week one, Pastor Michael shared with us the priority of prayer and people in Jesus' life. Last week, Pastor Jeff shared with us about the priority of purpose, the purpose that Jesus had in his life. And This morning, I get the chance to talk about demon possession. (laughs) Yeah, so we have uh, prayer and purpose and demon possession. One of these is not like the other. And uh, I'm not sure if there was a message the pastors were trying to give me by giving me this subject in this passage this morning. But that's what we're going to look at. But really, here is what we're efforting to see this morning. That Jesus busies himself with providing freedom through his power and love, that he will go to all lengths and all measure in order to free his people. Last week, uh, Pastor Jeff was sharing from us from Luke 4, 18 through 19. And in this passage, we see really Jesus' job description described. Here it is. Jesus' job description is to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, to recover sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Now that is a job description. That is all other duties assigned plus some. How would you like to get that one from your boss tomorrow morning? But this is what we want to look at. Just one item of Jesus' job description this morning, and it's this. Busy Jesus provides freedom. Busy Jesus provides freedom. Freedom. Uh, free. We all love free, right? Um, uh, there's some uh, Grace College students in the room this morning, I think. Can I hear from you, Grace College students? Okay, thank you. All right, so I work at Grace College, and uh, I'm going to let you in on a little secret about all college students, including our own. If you want them to come to something, you just have to put free on the poster. Free t-shirt, free ice cream, free meal, and they will show up in droves, right? But it's not just college students. It's all of us. We all love free. In fact, some of you came to church the last few weeks just because there was free donuts and free muffins after church. Uh, My wife used to always come home and share with me after going to the grocery store how much she saved that day at the grocery store. And I'm like, well, Actually, you spent money, but, but she was just so excited about what she got for free and what she saved. We all love free. But what we're going to look at this morning is that Jesus provides a different kind of free. He doesn't just give something. He actually takes something away, and then he gives something. In his power of taking away, space is provided that through his love, he can give freely. And so this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. We're going to take this in chunks, and so uh, I'll read the first 
three verses this morning from Luke 8. The verses will be up on the screen. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, we like to always say that we would love to give you one. And so if you go out to the connection corner and you say Bible, they will give you a copy of God's Word for your own. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 29. Then they, Jesus and his disciples, sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg of you, do not torment me. I was like my best demon voice. I don't know how good it was, but I tried. So the first thing we see in this verse is that Jesus and his disciples were sailing. In fact, they were going to a new city they had never been to, Gerasenes. This was the far reaches of Jesus's ministry during his time on earth. He is long way away from Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem. He's on the outskirts of his ministry. And and there's something else you need to know that is going on behind the scenes as we start. His disciples are freaked out. See, in the first few verses before the story, we're told that On this sailboat trip, they left Galilee because crowds have been following them around and and Jesus wanted to get away. In fact, the crowds have been so many that his own mother could not find him. And so he climbed into this boat. He asked his disciples to get in with him and they started across the Sea of Galilee. In the middle of the Sea of Galilee, this mega storm comes up. So big that the disciples are fearing for their life and Jesus is there with him. And he is there, but he's in the boat and he is sleeping. And we get a picture of Jesus' humanity. Right before this, we see his deity and how he is healing and preaching. And in the story we have this morning, we'll see his deity on display and how he casts out demons. But here in the middle of the sea, we get a picture of his humanity. That he is like us, that he gets tired, that he gets worn out. And here are his disciples and they're freaked out by this big storm and they wake Jesus up and they're like, Jesus, we're going to die. And Jesus is like, I kind of created this whole thing. It's going to be okay. And he stands up and he calms the storm. And you'd think that the disciples at this point are now relieved because the storm is over. But in fact, they are actually even more freaked out because the storm is scary. They thought they were going to die. But this guy is so powerful, he can calm that scary storm we thought we were going to die from. Who is this guy? Who is this dude that goes from sleeping like a baby to silencing creation? And then cut scene. And we arrive on the shores of Gerasenes. The beach is here. And I imagine the disciples had never been more thankful to step onto dry land. See, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he arrives with his power. He arrives on the seashore with his power. He doesn't have to go get his super suit on first. He doesn't have to go get a protein bar first. No, wherever he goes, his power shows up there too. And now his power has arrived on the seashores of this foreign town. 
and he's bringing his power with him and he's showing his disciples that he intends for his power to go everywhere and to go to everyone. His power is not just for the Jews. His power is not just for Galilee. His power is not just for the Israelites. He wants his power on display on the other side of the sea and on the other side of the world. He wants his power on display for everyone, everywhere. And now the showdown begins. They arrive on the beaches of Gerasenes and this man comes out to greet them. And we're given a description of this man. He's naked, he's homeless, and he's not in his right mind. An extreme version of a beach bum who we would never want to meet on our next beach vacation. And when this man sees Jesus, the man immediately calls out in a demon-filled voice, What are you going to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This man had never met Jesus, but the demons that have invaded his soul knew exactly who this was. This was Jesus, the son of the most high. Just a few verses before, Jesus' own disciples that have seen him do miracle after miracle are saying, who is this man who calms the seas? And now the demons answer the question, this is the all-powerful Jesus. And if you think the disciples were freaked out before, I guarantee they were more freaked out right now. They've witnessed Jesus' power over creation And now they're about to witness Jesus' power over the spiritual forces of this world. And the demons who possess this man know exactly who Jesus is, and they are equally freaked out. They recognize Jesus' power and their inability to face up to this God-man. Our family um, enjoys C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. Any Chronicles of Narnia fans out there, the book or the movie? Okay, so... Some of you are familiar with this story, and in The Lion and Witch in the Wardrobe, there is this famous scene where the children enter into Narnia, and they come into friendship with some beavers. And the beavers tell the children of this great lion, Aslan, the picture of Jesus. And they must adventure to go meet this lion before the wicked witch finds them. The children are quite scared of this idea of meeting the lion. Susan, the oldest of the girls, asks the beaver, is he safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mrs. Beaver replies, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. And little Lucy, the youngest, chimes in, then he isn't safe? And Mr. Beaver gives this beautiful answer with a chuckle. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus shows up on the scene, and in the face of the storm, And in the face of a demon-possessed man, he displays for them and for all of us that he is powerful beyond imagination and that his power can do mighty works. He is not safe. 
but he is good. Jesus arrives with power. Let's continue and look on Luke chapter 8, and uh, we'll read verses 29 through 33. For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. See, Jesus arrived with his power, but Jesus also arrived with his love. We learn a little bit more about this demon-possessed man. The people of Gerasenes had attempted to keep him locked up and bound inside the confines of the city, but he was too strong. The demons inside of him had given him this physical power, and they'd given up even trying to control him and left him to be wrecked by these demons out in the tombs. We see that the demons within him had so stripped him of his dignity that not only was he naked, not only was he homeless, but he no longer knew his own name. Right? Names are what give us identity. Often dignity is found in our names. And that's true now, but that was even true more so in the time of Scripture. You think of Jacob becoming Israel and Saul becoming Paul. That individuals were given a new name when they were given a new identity. And when this man is asked what his name is, what his identity is, his response is legion. Legion had become his identity. And legion is simply a number. In those days, legion would have been used to describe four to 6,000 soldiers. And we don't know how many demons possessed this man, but it was enough to send a few thousand pigs over the cliff to their peril. We don't know how many demons, but we know that his name and his identity has now been changed to lots of demon guy. I would guess this man would not have chosen to be naked and homeless and nameless, But this is really, really important for us to understand. He did choose to allow sin to enter his soul. And when he made that choice, it wreaked havoc. There is no being in this world so powerful that it can force a human being into the bondage of sin. We are all responsible for our own sin. No demonic force can make us sin. But when we open that door, this story shows us what can happen. And uh, I'm guessing like many of you, uh, I have not had very many experiences with demons or demon-possessed people. I've not interfaced or interacted with a demon-possessed person. We've heard of witchcraft in far-off places or satanic divinations in other places around the world. It's not often a part of our Western experience, but I firmly believe dark spiritual forces of evil are at work in this world, and I don't have to look any farther than my own heart. 
This is certainly an extraordinary case, no doubt. But your story and my story is not much different than this man's. How often have I found myself given over or possessed by the sin that so easily entangles, that binds up our hearts and blinds us to the truth? This man's case is extreme, but we are all in bondage to our own sin. And yet, in the most dire of circumstances, Jesus' love prevails. His love prevails. What does he do? He sends this legion of demons out of this man and into the herd of pigs who run off the cliff to their demise. And my first thought in reading this is, Jesus must not have liked bacon. But then my second, more spiritual thought was, what love? What love? This man, discarded by society and a slave to his own sin, is way, way more important to Jesus than a large herd of pigs. And now why did Jesus choose pigs? I don't know. But I know that he cares for this man more than he cares for those pigs. And throughout scripture, it is proclaimed over and over how much more important we are than the raven, than the sparrow, than the ram. God cares for all of his created creatures, but he loves his image bearers. I read a commentary this week that said one possible reason Jesus chose pigs was that pigs would have been considered unclean to the Jews. They didn't eat pork. And these unclean animals ran off the cliff to symbolize the future judgment of these demonic forces. Kind of a picture of a reverse of the curse, right? In Genesis, there's this serpent, this snake, this embodied animal that Satan takes over and he tempts Adam and Eve and exercises his authority over God's created. But now we see Jesus exercise his authority over evil sending the demons back to the animal and rescuing his created image bearers. And here is the point. Jesus' love is so wide and so deep. It reaches farther than east to west and he will go to any length to rescue and to save. Praise the Lord for that. And then we come to the last verses we're going to look at this morning. Luke chapter 8, verses 34 through 39. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city 
how much Jesus had done for him. So now our scene includes a few more groups of people. First, the herdsmen who are really ticked off because for them, bacon meant money. And now their pigs had run off a cliff. And so they go to the city and they tell their fellow city men, come see what has happened. And they come out and what do they find? This man who was last seen naked is now clothed and in his right mind. This man who they were unable to control with chains is now calm and collected. This man who was formerly possessed by many demons and homeless living in tombs has now found a home at the feet of Jesus. Who shows up at the feet of Jesus? Throughout scriptures, those who show up at the feet of the Jesus are the followers of Jesus. This man has been saved. He is now a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of Jesus has freed him and now the love of Jesus has filled him. This man has been transformed. No clothes, now fully clothed, not in his right mind, now calm and collected with a right mind and a new heart. No name, no home, now eternal home and a new name, son of the most high king of heaven. And this is where you would expect the townspeople to be in awe of Jesus, right? Like, wow, look what you've done for our neighbor, this demon-possessed man that we could not control. You have freed him. We want whatever he has. But instead, their response is afraid. Afraid of Jesus? In fact, we're told they were seized with great fear. What are they so afraid of? They were not afraid of Jesus. They were afraid of losing more of what they had and what they wanted. They were afraid they would lose more of what possessed them, the things that possessed them. They'd already lost the pigs. What else might this Jesus guy take from us? They were so distracted by what they had, so fearful about what they wanted, that they couldn't see the Savior standing right in front of them. Both the people and the man filled with demons were possessed. One possessed by demons, the other possessed by their possessions. But now this formerly demon-possessed man is fully aware of who Jesus is, so aware that he begs Jesus to allow him to go with him. But Jesus says no, and instead sends this man back to his city. Now, I wish we could see what happens with this man. When he goes back to the city and he begins to proclaim what Jesus has done for him, what's the response? Do others start following Jesus and say, whatever happened to this man, I want to happen to me? Or do they reject this man just like the other people of Gerasenes? What happens to this man? We're not told. And we're not told because that's not the point of the story. The star of the story is not the demons. The star of the story is not the disciples. The star of the story is not the distracted people. The star of the story is Jesus. Jesus, the one willing to leave the crowds of adoring people 
to cross the sea, to engage the sea of demons, to rescue one man. Think of all the trouble Jesus went to for one man. He left his home country. He took a journey to a foreign country. He engaged demonic forces for one man? Is that really worth it, Jesus, to use all of your time? You're busy just to go to the other side of the sea to free one demon-possessed man? And Jesus would say, absolutely. And here's the truth. Jesus has gone to far greater lengths to save you and me. He took on the full wrath of God for sin. He was stripped naked and beaten, tortured, homeless, and put into a tomb. Was it worth it for me, for you? And Jesus would say, absolutely. A question for you this morning. Are you fighting demons or distraction? Are you fighting demons like the man on the beach? Are you fighting distractions like the people in the city? And it's actually a trick question. I hope the answer is both. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I said it earlier, I don't fully understand how spiritual warfare works. Spiritual forces and this cosmic battle are a bit of a mystery to us, but what is not a mystery to me is I feel the tension in my heart. I feel the battle in my soul between what my earthly self wants and what my Jesus follower self wants. And here's what I hope for you. I hope you feel that same battle. I hope you feel that inner struggle on a daily basis. Because if you don't feel the battle for your heart, then sin has overtaken your conscience and you're in deep trouble. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Are you fighting the demons? Do you feel that spiritual battle in your own soul and in your own heart? We often give very little thought to the spiritual forces that are at work all around us and the spiritual forces that are at work within us. Are you fighting distraction? Like the people, the distractions of what you want or what you have. John Oxenham, an English poet, wrote a poem about the distracted people of Gerasenes in Luke 8. 
And here's how the poem goes. Rabbi, be gone. Thy powers bring loss to us and ours. Our ways are not as thine. Thou lovest men, we love swine. O get you hence, omnipotence, and take this fowl of thine. His soul, what care we for his soul? What good to us that thou hast made him whole, since we have lost our swine? Is Jesus more important to me than what I have or what I want? Is he more important to me than my financial security? Is he more important to me than whatever football game is on this afternoon? Does he show up on my schedule in a way that evidence he is more important to me than anything else? Is he more important to me than my children's activities? Is he more important to me than anything I may want? So often we are blinded by our own wealth that we can't see the riches of Jesus' love. And let me suggest something this morning. You can neither fight demons nor distractions successfully. You can neither fight demons nor distractions successfully, but there is hope. This story and all the stories about busy Jesus show off his power and his love. And the greatest story, the one where he defeats sin on the cross and death at the grave, when he crushes the head of that animal, Satan, and points to his own power and love that can overcome any demons and any distractions. So if we want to successfully fight those inner demons or those distractions, We have to do the same thing this demon-possessed man did, to allow Jesus' power and love to invade our soul, to allow Jesus to take out that heart of stone, that bound-up, sinful heart. Freedom is about taking out through his power so that he can fill with his love. That's the story of the gospel. When we talk about freedom, we mean that he frees us from and then he gives to. It is both and, praise the Lord. And when he has done that, when he has invaded your soul, what's next? Exactly what this formerly demon-possessed man does. He goes and tells everyone else. Jesus is willing to go to the farthest, messiest places and people to proclaim his goodness. And then he turns around and he sends this formerly demon-possessed man, his disciples, and every single one of us to do the exact same thing. And it's not that hard. What does he tell the man to do? Go tell him what I did. Go tell him what I did for you. You don't need to know some big theological terms. You don't need to follow me around for the next couple of years. Just go tell him what I did. And that's what he wants us to do, to go find the messiest people in the messiest places and just tell them, what did Jesus do for you? To keep sharing with our friends and our neighbors and those who seem so hard to the gospel, what Jesus did for you. 
If his power has invaded your life, if his love has invaded your heart, you will be able to do nothing else but go proclaim the love of Jesus. And you will do it full of joy because you are free. You are free from your own heart of stone, your own wickedness, your own sin, and now you live free and you've been given a new name, son and daughter of the Most High King. And we can live with that hope today. Lord God, thank you that you are omnipotent, that you are all-powerful, that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth, that your universe spans farther than we can ever imagine, that you are strong and mighty, and yet that you love us individually as your image bearers here on earth, that you have sent Jesus full of power, full of love, the definition of power, the definition of love to invade our hearts. And in the greatest of exchanges, we have given you our sin and you have given us your love. And now we can do nothing else but proclaim our freedom. Lord, we praise you this morning that we are free in Christ. And we ask that you would empower us through your spirit to go proclaim that good news to the most difficult people and places in this world. We love you, Lord, because you have first loved us. In your name we pray, amen.